Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Tom Talks. As always, I'm Heath Parker. I'm sitting in with uh, my good, good friends. You know them. You love them. Mr. Adam Kelly. Hello. And my dear friend and roommate, the voice of everyone's favorite hunk of machine meat, Zeno5, Mr. John Thomas. Hey, how y'all doing? <laughs> hey, you, John. How's your mom? Hey. <laughs> Welcome to the show, John. Thank you. Uh, long-time listener, first-time uh, talker. All right, so that's a lie. You told us right before this you haven't even listened to a Tom Talks. You're starting well, this out is on why the field Shut up. <laughs> yeah, this is why he's the last one to get of the of the core cast to get invited on the show <laughs> yeah because mm. he's a liar <laughs> uh, so you can't you? trust that android right <laughs> now so uh, we'll we'll get to that uh so how are you guys doing today good good uh, not bad at all been a good day yeah you've been doing anything exciting had an eventful evening or it's not evening yet you know what I'm uh, not really i've just been playing a lot of a lot of destiny today Oh, nice. You back on that train with some of the Discord folks? Yes, indeed. Well, I haven't played with anybody on Discord yet because I need to get a new, like, uh, headset mic because mine's broken. Yeah. So I can't really communicate very oh, well. Oh, that's unfortunate. What about you, John? What you been doing? You, you were off today, huh? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was off today. I uh, haven't really done much aside from went and got sushi. Uh, my girlfriend. Oh, nice. um, other than that, just got back here and recording now. Nice. Sweet. It's been a slow day. I, uh, I worked at the I worked at the school today, and uh, <laughs> I had a real change of pace. Normally, you know, like I, I sit in with reading blocks and and help out, uh, basically being a teacher's assistant until I start my actual tutoring with my my you know students that have been selected for my tutoring program or whatever. But uh, today they were having this, um, you know, it, it was it, it's kind of reminiscent of like a field day, I guess, you know, like they get to go and do all these activities and stuff. But it was like in the gym as opposed to like out on a field. So they had all these little like games and stuff set up for them. So long story short, I operated a child gambling booth for an entire work day. <laughs> that sounds so terrible and awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were, ga- they were gambling for candy, but... Let's let's sure. make, make yeah. No, well, you got to uh, start them off on something of value, you know. Yeah, yeah. To yeah. them, um, which which also it's funny, like because I I was making the joke about you know I'm running basically a, a children's roulette table, and then uh, we get done with that <laughs> and go back to uh, go to my classroom or whatever, and on the way we see, I don't know, this had nothing to do with the event that we were doing, but I get to my classroom and the next classroom over fucking Chuck E. Cheese himself walks out. <laughs> like, oh my God. Holy I shit. Was like, I was like, speaking of child gambling, <laughs> you know, this is the mascot <laughs> of international child gambling right here. You're right. You're right. You're right. Was uh, Skittles kid involved in this? Uh, it was two rooms over from Skittles kid. Okay. But uh, I, uh, I did see... I guess see... we haven't told that story on the show uh, yet. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> my God. Well, now, now we're just building up an aura of yeah. mystery about it, yeah. you know? You guys um, are in for I, treat. But I guarantee he gambled. I won't guarantee he won. Mm, <laughs> you know? Okay. Um, so, for this Tom Talks, uh, you know, we finally got John on one. I've got several things I want to talk about, but I, I want to begin from the beginning, as they say. Um, so, to start off, you know, I think I've mentioned 
numerous times before. John and I are roommates, actually for the second time now. Um, so right. I wanted to take a, a deep dive back to our roots and talk about uh, how you know John and I met and how he became part of this friend group that became STF. What uh, year do you think that was, man? Oh, man. What's, what year is it now? <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, what, 20, hasn't been, it hasn't been a solid decade yet. I mean, okay? was it what, like that, 2014, that, 2013, something like that? I think the older you get, the you have to start measuring shit in decades. So, I yeah, mean, like, I mean, and I'm not it hasn't with been a time full decade to begin yet. with. Probably it's like six or seven years now, dude. So, somewhere in there. So, I so, think it's longer than that, but yeah. Well, what happened was, <laughs> um, <laughs> my, uh, our uh, the uh, I'll call them tertiary Southern tomfoolery members. Uh, Dustin and Dane um, are are very good friends who I actually went to high school, the same high school as both of them. Um, but I hadn't seen our friend Dane or really been in much you know contact with him for a few years after high school and college. Um, and then just kind of out of the blue, me and Zach got back in touch with him and started hanging out a little bit. And when we did, we, we started going over and he lived with John and Dustin. Um, and from there, you know, like nerdiness ensued. That was, that was kind of the turning point in my life when I've, I've mentioned before, I used to be a bit of a closet nerd. That was kind of the period in time where I just like fully blossomed into my own nerdiness, you know? And this is also, you know, probably within a year after that, we started doing our uh, Game of Thrones podcast, which is, you know, kind of led to the formation of the Southern tomfoolery thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you, you know, we all, we all hung out a lot around there. Adam was still in Hattiesburg at that point. And once their lease was up, I'm assuming their lease was up, at that house, um, the three of them were going to move into uh, this big two-story house in the avenues in Hattiesburg, and they had an extra room. And I had been like, I, I want to be that guy, you know? Cause I was living with Zach at the time, but I was living in Purvis, which is kind of in the country. So I wanted to move into Hattiesburg. So... They had an extra room. I moved in with them and nerdiness, you know, the, the nerdiness scale just it went ever upwards like an Everest. Yeah, that house became like the hub of nerdiness for a it while. It really did. It really yeah. did. That was whenever you were still living in Hattiesburg. Yeah. You know, yeah. So that, that was great. Well, and that was, the, uh, that was when we got really big into like Magic the Gathering for a couple of years. Mm. Oh, gosh. You know? Yeah, yeah. We actually had a little magic corner. Oh, you know, yeah. just, to, just to backpedal just a little bit, you know, there, there was a point in time like – when we first met, I don't think we really knew how to gauge each other, Heath and I, because, I mean, like, you know, I was always just kind of, like, uh, antagonistic to a fault, but I was affectionately antagonistic, I guess. It was just, like, uh, it's one of those, like, it, I don't like you if I'm not fucking around, uh, fucking with you, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, it was just, like, I just remember that, that point in time where I think you were just, like, you were you were blossoming into, you were still that that bud of a nerd, you know? And it was just like you—you you started having like these nerdy tendencies where it's just like you'd say something, but like, oh, but I'm not a nerd. Like, I just remember it was like whenever, like within those first couple months, like, bro, you're a fucking nerd. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had to, I had to come to, to grips with that for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. That was a come to Jesus with that, but yeah, yeah. You you yeah. successfully blossomed. Yeah. You know? so, so I mean, as I said, like the other guys that lived with John um, were guys that I went to high school with, so I you know, I uh, already had some history with them or whatever. So it took me and John a little bit of time to really get like comfortable with each other. 
Um, and one of the things that really clicked for me and John and kind of cemented our friendship um, once we, you know, bothered to like get to know each other a little bit better was John's taste in music. And much like we started the Tom Talks that Zach guested on uh, yeah. with talking about how he and I were in a band together that went and saw Adam's band. And, you know, we had that. That was all before my nerdiness truly popped out is because I spent several years in bands, you know, trying to be a, a fucking rock yeah, star. You, you, you guys were truly the magicians. I mean, not the magicians. Musicians, <laughs> we musicians were, of the we group. We were magicians. You know, you know what? No, no, no. no. Your, your music was magic. There you go. So, I'm not taking it back. Well, the thing yeah. is, we were in these bands, but they were like really uh, unique bands that were like also like stage magician kind of thing. No, that's, that's absurd. But anyways... <laughs> Uh, much like that situation, uh, you know, John isn't uh, a, ma- a musician or a magician, but John, um, Adam and I, it-, it feels like over the last several years have had really the most like overlap, like musically. We've, we've shared so many interests and grown into so many interests uh, musically and like explored new stuff and really dug into some stuff. The most primary of which would be fish. You know, we've, you know, Adam and I have made fish jokes. I'm sure John has as well throughout the history of the podcast, but we've always had to tone it down because, you know, we don't want to dive too too deep in that rabbit hole, but we are the three actual like fish fans of Southern tomfoolery, you know? Right. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think the thing with John is that John has uh, the musician's ear or a listener's ear. Yes. You know, uh, yes. and that's, I'm and not I think a musician, but, but yeah. I think, well, I think that's what we, that's what we share in our taste in music is typically the things that we all really like are, you know, active listening bands, like we kind of require you to be like engaged with the music and listening and trying to figure it out a little bit rather than just background music right. you know what i mean I'm so we've all been a little bit more into the headier music than the soul music now that's not to say we don't all love soul music we oh, do God. i mean it's yeah. soul music yeah. right. but i think what has connected the three of us with our musical tastes is that dedication to sitting down just to listen to something like that's what i'm going to do i'm going to sit here and yes. just listen to this music and see what it has to say you know yeah well and we've and also, also been also been Sorry, more uh, in tuned with our uh, experimental side, you know. Yes, we, absolutely. We love to experiment with w- with what can be produced through sounds and how it can be uh, applied. You yeah, know? yeah, certainly. Like, like you know, something like Fish. Even though that's a jam band, it's a very experimental jam band, a very progressive kind of jam band, and I think that's that's a little bit of what it is. Is like the three of us are the more the most willing to like get into some really like proggy territory, you know. Sure. Um, absolutely. Well, and I think that Fish often gets misrepresented as jam band. I mean, there's no doubt about it that they are a jam band by the modern definition, but you got to understand that there wasn't anything, there was no such thing as jam bands when Fish were like coming into their own and well, there, at the peak of their there popularity. Was, but there was you only know, like, one. There was the Grateful Dead. Well, like it. what I'm saying, I don't think the term jam bands became a thing until like after Bonnaroo 
the first Bonnaroo. Like the idea of jam bands as a genre, as a genre before that fish was just this weird noodly prog jazz band, you know, yeah, like we're going to do it for 20 in, minutes. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, there's the grateful dead, but the grateful dead is not a jam band. They're an Americana band, you know, but, they're but they are a psychedelic a jam folk band. band. They are. A jam well, that's what I'm saying, but it's like, po- but it's like, that's a post labeling, you know, like they okay, were never yeah. called a jam band when they were a band. Nobody said, oh, this is the jam band. You know, like, that's a modern term. I guess I'll have know? to give you that because you're the only person old enough to verify that. <laughs> well, that's, but no, that's 100% true. Jam band is a very modern term that came up after Grateful Dead and Fish inspired the whole second wave of yeah. improvisational music, you know? And so, yeah, you can call them jam bands, but... Yeah, well, well I mean, my, my distinction wasn't just to, like, dig at you. It's that, you know, when I got into jam bands and stuff when I was, like, 17, like, the term was already around, was already cemented, you know? Right, so, like, right. I, so kind of I more of a up, psychedelic Americana. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, yeah, so I, I guess the, the main point I'm trying to make, though, is that I'm not a particular fan of jam bands as a whole. I don't like a lot of jam bands. I find them to be a little long-winded and boring and obviously you could say you the got, same about you got a fish, lot of goddamn well, let's, let's give an example of what a jam band would be in well, this case i mean I, you know there's a just whole scale one. there's just one or two so like string cheese incident you okay. know what i mean uh-huh. that's a jam band or right. freeze mcgee is McGee. considered a jam yeah, band which uh-huh. is kind of where i started you know right but like with fish their intent was never to be a jam band and for the first you know they were they came out in the 80s you know they were an 80s rock band with that was trying to be the next yes or king crimson or something now they were very goofy they were no they didn't you know but if you listen to their first couple albums it's extremely complex compositions and more frank zappa than grateful dead yeah right yeah. For- um, so, which is why I like them over a lot of other jam bands because they have this commitment to weirdness that I just really love. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, I think that's something that you and John in particular share because, like, I started out like I do like jam bands. Like, I like Humphreys. I like String Cheese. Mm-hmm. Like, I mm-hmm. like the Almond mm-hmm. Brothers. You yeah. know, uh, I like Widespread Panic. I recently went and saw them. I do like the Almond know? Brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, and I'm not saying you don't like those things, but I think it's coming from a different place. You know, like I didn't start out with that appreciation for the like proggy, intricate kind of thing. Although you could right. argue Humphreys mm-hmm. is very intricate at times, but they're like a shredder, like yes. rocking ass jam band yes. right, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I think you guys share that kind of commitment to the the prog aspect, the yes, the King Crimson, the Zappa. The commitment to the weird. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. It, it took I me mean, a when you think about like Frank Zappa, Ween, you know, I mean, yeah. these are all just kind of that commitment to that yeah. style. Well, well yeah. I think because of that, like, like I'm, I'm kind of the baby of the group, you know? So like it took me a while, just like with my nerdiness, to blossom into the appreciation of that kind of weirdness and proggy aspect in music. And now I love it, but it took me a while to get there through hanging out with John and hanging out with Adam and listening to the kinds of things that they did and exploring that. I mean, I remember a time I hated fish. Like I fucking despised. Well, I think nerdiness works in tandem with that weirdness. You know, at least I feel similar things like I like fish because I consider fish to be a a nerdy band. It has a great wealth 
of mythos and like stats and like it's just huge. There's so much to dig into. You could spend, I mean, and people do spend years digging into their whole a career of full of like mystery and in jokes and mythology and like weird Easter eggs and connections all through their music, not to mention all the different versions of songs and live tapes and all that. There's just so much to nerd out on when yeah. it comes to fish. And it's because they're a bunch of nerds, you know, like they have a whole suite of songs that is their own fantasy story that they told that they, that they wrote called yeah. game hinge. You know what I mean? Like they are, they're just as committed to like nerdery and weirdness as at least I am. And I think that that's really what appeals to me more so than the drug culture or the party culture that yeah. surrounds them, you know? Yeah. Well, right. And to, to piggyback on that a little bit, I think there's a, a major connection between the interest in that kind of music and the kind of like nerdiness and gaming that, that we get into um, because all of those things in one way or another are like research projects, you know, like you have to continue to research mm -hmm. them and, and, and be invested enough to continue to want to learn about, you know, the nuances of different performances of bands like fish and, and Zappa and stuff like that. And I think that really ties in yeah. a lot to like the TTRPG thing. Like the TTRPGs to me are the jam bands of agree. the nerd world, you know, or are the prog bands. Of yeah. The nerd world. I mean, definitely in a sense, uh, yeah, definitely in a sense because there's no easy entry yeah. to something like Frank Zappa or Fish or no. Pathfinder. Like you have to commit time. There's not just like, hey, here's one class that just check this out. I think you'll like it. Like you have to study the whole book, you know, and the same goes for something like Fish or Frank Zappa. You know, people ask me all the time. That's why I don't bring up Fish very much because I'm like, if you want to, mm -hmm. if you want to know what they're about, I'm going to need about 10 hours of time <laughs> with yeah. you minimum, yeah. you know, because there's not, there's literally not a single song that you could play that says, Oh, you know, this is what makes fish awesome. Or even like something that you're going to understand. There's so much context that's involved. And I, I've fully in the time that I've gotten spent with fish. I understand that for a lot of people, that is a very valid, like negative thing about yeah. the band is that they don't have anything like catchy or hooky that you can just sink your teeth into right away. And I think a lot of people yeah. want or, that. Or if, and they that's do, not or if they do, there's only two or three of them. Uh, that's a very small percentage of their actual work and doesn't represent what they truly are, you know? Right. Exactly. Right. It's hard to find a representation on where they actually stick. I mean, they have, they embrace the strange and the nerdiness to uh, aspects, but as far as trying to sit somebody down and tell them like, okay, this is what quintessentially what fish is. It's like, that's, that's going to be hard to actually do. Yeah. Right. Know? Well, and I think uh, with both of those things, if we're talking about kind of a, an abstract comparison between like that style of music and this style of gaming, I think both of them have this shared um, potential, like negative perception of being, mm -hmm a little bit Agreed. a little bit pretentious and and a mm -hmm. little bit like inaccessible you know yeah like they both have like it's a lot of work. stigmas around yeah, yeah there's yes, a lot of stigma around both ttr you know dnd as as a hobby right the and and fish right or or jam bands or frank zap or whatever you know like there's definitely this stigma that you have to kind of get past not everybody that plays tabletop is a neckbeard in a basement 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's and and also there's n- nothing wrong with that person either. Yeah. But that's not that's not the entire player base. And same mm-hmm. goes for fish. Not everybody that listens to fish is some high school dropout that's burnout on that's a weed and acid. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's right. a lot of extremely, extremely intelligent and productive people that love that band. You know what I mean? But it's it's But well, so but I think both of those things have kind of this notion that uh of the super fan. You know, mm-hmm. like the yes. su- the super fan that like, Agreed. whereas like if you're if you're a big fish fan or something like you're not going to be truly like in the know or truly accepted in that culture until you've gone to some shows, you know, till you've right, you've spent right. the money and spent the time and done the travel and gone and experienced it live. And I think it, it, with TTRPGs, it's much the same in a way that like when you become or a lot of people, you know, become super fans like you're encouraged to like go to PaizoCon or go to, you know, gaming conventions or something like that to really like get into the community of it. But you know, to piggyback on that just real quick, these two, uh, these two like fish and uh, TTRPGs, both of them encourage the super fan in in some aspect, you know, because I mean, I have spent more, I mean, I have, I have not spent more time on any other fucking band as far as listening um, and actually just trying to study or uh, understand more than fish. Same thing with TTRPGs. I mean, like, yeah, you, I mean, you spend a couple of hours in a video game and like, okay, I've got this, you know, but like with TTRPGs, there's so many different scenarios that you haven't, uh, that you don't know. You got to, okay, I got to go back into the book and, and well, look into I, it, you know? I think one thing that's interesting about both is that both require engagement from you as a yes. participant. You know what I mean? So like you can't, you really can't understand fish fully until you go to a show. Right. And the reason is because fish is all about giving back to the community and like giving power to the fans in the sense that like the people at the show have a big part of what they're going to sound like on stage that day. They feed off the energy. And just like in TTRPGs, like you're creating the story in the moment with somebody like you're, you're interacting and engaging with the core thing, whether it be the music of fish or the rules of the game that you're playing and making something much bigger and more exciting because of your interaction with it. Yeah. You know, well, and I think there's an interesting correlation there between like the band itself and the GM and the players and the crowd, Mm -hmm. you know, because like as a, as a player in a TTRPG game, like you're required to be much more, uh, invested and social, you know, and and, and um, able to mm-hmm. compromise with other people and and feed off of their energy. And the way that you GM is going to be directly influenced by that, you know. Like, I mean, you change one or two people in a party's makeup, and it it could very easily change the way that you have to to GM a game, you know. Absolutely. Very much participate participatory yeah right right and both of them involve significant amounts of improvisation around scripted ideas yeah you know what i mean like like we've got we've got an idea a general idea of how it's going to go but it's never going to be just that you know right right and it should always be about what's going to happen in the moment the moment's the most important thing you know what i mean like yeah i mean 
gosh, you know, we can go on yeah, for, yeah. about well, fish I, forever. I've, I've got but, a good segue. I got a good segue. Um, so I, I had a, I think me and John briefly talked about this, um, uh, after a few beers a couple nights ago or something. Um, and I don't know if we landed in the same place about it, but I wanted to bring it up again with the three of us. And that was, would Zeno five be a fish fan? (laughs) And at first, at first, whenever we were uh, discussing this, I was like, you know, I'm not sure. But then after we discussed a little bit further and it's like, yeah, actually like Zeno would actually chase the stats, you know, he (laughs) would be the one that would be... Ana- uh, analyzing between shows. Yeah. I mean, I think he would just be pretty much an Adam Kelly in this situation. <laughs> well, well, that was that was kind of my argument. You know, initially John pushed back on that because you know you think Zeno, you think uh, you know mechanical like math you'd rock. think like math rock yeah. more stuff like that. But yeah. I was like, no, classical but, compositions. But, but you know, think about like the way in which, as a fish fan or whatever, or or a fan of like you know other prog or jam bands like that, like you have to like continue to do the work and do the research and analyze the differences show to show, version by version of the songs. And I think you know it might take Zeno a little bit, but once like he went to that first show. You know, Zeno would be like, oh, this is something that I can continue to research in my day-to-day life right. constantly. Well, I'm a pretty you know? firm believer of once you go to your first show, you're going to be hooked no matter what. Like, Converted. If you, can get, yeah. if you go to a show and you don't have a good time at a fish show, that's 100% on you. <laughs> yeah. 100% go on you. Go with somebody you know? that's a fan of fish already, you know? Well, yeah. 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 So, but, yeah. So, but yeah. you know, I, I don't want to, uh, you know, do the fish thing for the whole tom talks but on that (laughs) to that point you know like okay say say zeno did get into fish like what are a couple of songs we think zeno would be like really into oh acdc bag for sure it's about a hangman acdc bag yeah yeah it's about a it's about a uh executionary robot i think think he'd be a maze Mm -hmm. fan for sure oh yeah that was gonna be my first choice actually i i personally love maze yeah. You know? Well, Maze is good. Zeno Maze is, would love Maze too. I, I love Maze, but Maze, you know, had a really big impact. It scared the shit out of me one time. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, it'll do that. Um, I think that he would probably enjoy Divided Sky. Um, now, just for Divided the Sky implications, is a bit more of less the, improv, but it's yeah, still like I think I think yeah. he that's he would appreciate it from the compositional standpoint. Yes. Um, and then I don't know. I mean, uh, I mean, he might like Martian Monster, but see, see the, yeah, the spacey type stuff. I, I would like to think he'd like, but it would be more popcorn than research. You know, mm-hmm. like he'd enjoy right, it, right. but like mm-hmm. that's not what gets his fucking goat. You know. Uh, anyways, I don't. I don't want to delve too far into this, lest we lose fans. Because <laughs> we'll start you know? just listening off songs yeah. at this point. But listen, you know? we appreciate you getting this far talking <laughs> about fish, but I just I, I think that we all kind of feel that fish often gets pushed into a corner unfairly, and yeah, uh, this was a great opportunity a for us to kind of explain why we like why three intelligent people like this crazy ass band fish. Yeah. Well, know? and I do think you know it's not just me. Um, you know, kind of jamming it in there that I, I, I really think there are like some some interesting correlations between the type of gaming that we like and the type of music that we like, the three of us especially, you know? Yeah, I mean, in any case, like the three of us went 
and saw fish together, spent, you know, three nights seeing them. And that just brought us closer as friends at the very oh, least. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and I mean, we were correlating their set list to what was going on with your character no, yeah, in the game that we were playing at the time. No, you know, like we I, were like yeah. all up in it, you know. That's something I definitely wanted to bring up because, you know, Adam kind of got me and John on the fish thing. He converted us pretty hard, but it really did. Like, even before we, uh, you know, became Southern Tomfoolery proper, like when we were playing our D&D game, our, our biggest D&D game, which was Storm King's Thunder, like we made playlists and stuff and like correlated like our characters characters to like certain songs that meant a lot to them and i remember night night one of uh the fish shows that we went to in atlanta like night one was was my character my dragonborn fighters alomar it, or, or now paladin it was his night mm-hmm. you know and like, which me and Adam just was kept being like this is so fucking alomar storm king's storm thunder, king's thunder. Yeah, yeah, like it just like you know we were just feeling we were feeling ourselves for sure but like that's the kind of kind of experience i'm talking about that you can have but yeah and aside from fish like there's so much more that we cross over on like i mean i i know that if i come up across something weird and be like john i want you to check this out and like we'll get down or heath like check out this yeah. this crazy ass shit well, you know? and, and before we move on too quickly I do like just kind of rapid fire want to pop off some of the other things because uh, our other bands that the three of us have like researched and gotten interested in and explored into because I know just the way that music has been represented at least on my end through the podcast is like the only times we've really talked about Heath and music is like I went through my uh, getting into like girl power music like my Billie Eilish and Lady Gaga mm. stuff and then the last like few times we've talked about it it's been like alt country stuff so like this was a good opportunity right. for me to be like that's not all I like you know <laughs> like I like tons of other stuff <laughs> than, than uh, girl pop and alt country <laughs> you know but like I mean for right. like a good example I think recently is all of us have gotten into Anderson Pack, like, and that's oh, yeah, that's dude. like, yeah. I mean, it's oh, soul hip hop kind of thing, but it's also very like intricately constructed and very progressive for its combination of genres. You know, to be it, it is it is some of the most impressively played hip hop I've ever seen. Well, but it's like, you know, it's like, like right. they play everything. They every they play all their instruments. It's not. It's not done as just like a program beat. Like the Anderson Paik like raps while he drums in this cadence that is syncopated mm-hmm. with his incredible drumming. Like watching him flow while doing those crazy drum it's beats the is most mind impressive blowing. shit. Oh, the, yeah, well, it's okay. The, if you're gonna if you're gonna bring them up, if you're gonna bring up the band, bring up their name. It's the Free Nationals. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic Anderson, group. Yeah, Anderson Pack and the Free Nationals. Which they are we've, so good. We've done this numerous times. Uh, I watched an interview with Anderson the other day. He pronounces it Pack. It's not Pac. It's pack. not Pace. It's, it's Pack. pack. Okay. Yeah. All right. Pack. All right. Yeah. Got it. So, okay. We've, I'll, I'll screw it up next time, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, and then obviously, like, I'm a big, like, Prince fan, and we all, like, love Prince and stuff like that. Well, and, like, you know, Radiohead. Radiohead is know, a big band for and, us. Oh, without doubt. Uh, but also, yeah. like, stuff like... Uh, you know, me and John living together really got into the band for a while, you know? I think what I appreciate about the two of you is that is your wide breadth of taste. Yes. You know what I mean? Like there's I, 
I can't get that's a lot of why I can't like get fully on board with some fish fans because all they listen to is fish like that's it and I can't I can't live that life I need to hear bunches of different types of music For sure. like, to me I like to listen to what I consider is the top 10% of every type of music you know there's country i like there's hip-hop yeah. i like there's yeah. metal i like there's funk that i like you know you now like some of those well get a little bit more than 10 percent, just because they're my preferred genres but yeah I'm, I'm never like oh well you know metal is just not my kind of thing or pop oh, music isn't me robust you know it's listening well, well yeah. and you know yeah. I, I do think that's kind of one of the unifying factors between the three of us and why we have so much overlap is that we're 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 very passionate about the things that we like but we're also very much uh, variety is the spice of life kind of people, you know, at least musically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, before we move on <clears throat> to the next like major section that I had planned for us, I did, we mentioned Storm King's Thunder uh, and we've mentioned, you know, some of the games that we did in the past um, in other Tom Talks, but I particularly wanted to focus on John because the fans of Southern Tom Foolery really only know John through the lens of Xeno 5. And I wanted you to briefly kind of talk about some of the other characters that you've played and that we've loved and kind of come to associate with you, you know? Nice. Okay. All right. And uh, should, should I just start chronologically? Yeah, I mean, should I mean, we just, just do this your, proper well, field? You, know, you don't born, have to go through you know. everything. Just your favorite two or three other characters that you've played. Yeah, okay, you know? yeah, sure, sure, sure. So uh, in our campaign, in our early D&D 5e, uh, this was before Southern Tom Foolery became a thing. Uh, well, anyway, uh, that was a dwarf barbarian. Uh, he was a bear totem dwarf barbarian so pretty much he was a tank but he was yeah his name was thren uh no last name very much like prince but uh he was was nothing (laughs) like prince (laughs) (laughs) no no he wasn't he was just a fucking dumb other than than that he was like four foot eight you know (laughs) here's the only thing that you need to i think there's one story that you should tell that will sum up thren and that's sky burial Oh, oh gosh! Well, okay, okay. I think there's technically Which, two. Okay, though. yeah. Okay, all right. Okay, Just the concept so, of it. Okay, so Thren's whole uh, bag, uh, well, being an un- uncivilized, uncouth, unkept uh, barbarian, uh, he was uh, at times where he would uh, he pursued uh, honorable combat, of course, but also an honorable death and for that also meant an honorable funeral an honorable funeral which where their rights would be to perform a sky burial now if you don't know anything about what a sky burial is um well i'm just it's about to get pretty grisly here but it, <laughs> it yes, involves it the uh the breaking apart of the the dead person uh for uh the uh, fauna of the environment, the, the, the animals to consume, you know, the, to take the with term, them, and <laughs> the term splay ahead. comes to mind. Yeah, 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 yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Splay is very much a word you have to put into there, okay? Because it's pretty much 
breaking down uh, a a whatever kind of humanoid to the to its components to where it can be easily gobbled up by the uh, by the, the animals birds. of the carrion yeah. birds and the environment yeah. that in which it was buried, or rather, it's not buried. In fact, most of the time, it's suspended up on some sort of uh, rock, like a big uh, rock wall d- or something. Yeah, either like on a rock, a rock or, or like a roof. Some, exactly, a roof. Yeah. For in yeah. this case, one of the cases, uh, he kind of befriended a, a fellow dwarf. And oh, uh, this is just, just no dwarf, like ordinary dwarf. This is like one, I think he's like a pretty famous dwarf in 5e lore or in just like Dungeons and Dragons, where it's like Thunder Hammer, like some master, something like that. Yeah, master armorer. Yeah, and, and he he died in this fight with some giants. Glorious combat, you know. <laughs> and, and John, this is where we first were exposed <laughs> to like John out of nowhere was like, I, th- I think uh, Thrin is going to do a sky burial and like, well, yeah, what is like, that? Okay, what, what's that? Yeah. So um, that would that would take that would the end. I had to describe to them that you know he's breaking them apart with his with his, either blades and rocks and whatnot to where carrion birds can yeah, eat he's, at him. He's splaying them out. Continue and the tie- circle of life. <laughs> Yeah, you know? but he's like splaying them yeah, out like he's them the up roof. onto a fucking rock yeah. or a roof, you know, in the in the baking yeah, like he, dis, he dismembered he dismembers them, yeah. you know, like cuts off the arms and legs, but then like arranges it in like a like a full like Da Vinci Man type pose. Yeah. yeah. And like <laughs> and like he and like his whole party was grossed out by it, but Thrin, ever oblivious, was just felt so proud that he gave. Oh yeah, this. tear. It was a tearful moment. <laughs> you yeah. know, it was just like that's some proud work that I've done, and I know that Thunderhammer would be proud of me yeah. to do this. Probably not, but <laughs> you Thrin felt. Well, that. you'll never know, will yeah. you? You know, but <laughs> exactly. But, exactly. but it was so it was so interesting because the dichotomy was like he was. It was such a reverent act to him, and so off putting to everybody else in the group. And that, it's so irreverent he, to everyone but he else. Constantly oh, yeah. asked if anybody wanted to help him with the sky burial, and it's like fuck no, yeah. like fuck no, I don't want to do that. Pack up this dead body and tie it up to a rock decoratively. There was even some constitution checks. Yeah. At, yeah. one, at one or two yeah. points, yeah. All right, what other characters? Okay, so uh, another character that I that I had fallen in love with uh, was uh, another one by the name of. Uh, the, it helped me out with this. It was uh, <laughs> yeah. Barnaby Chadwick Rupert Cumberbatch McConaughey. The twelfth. <laughs> the twelfth. Yes. Okay. The twelfth. Yeah, the fucking twelfth. Okay. That means the line of succession <laughs> of eleven prior Barnaby. Uh, Rupert Cumberbatch, uh, fuck, uh, Barnaby, McConaughey, Rupert Chadwick, uh, tw- uh, Cumberbatch, McConaughey, what? Chadwick, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that uh, and not, not, very much a Deckard Kane, but oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say j- to get through it quickly. I mean, he was the most like, uh, a. Adorably, but uh, adorable, but off-putting, like senile old man. And his whole gimmick was that he <laughs> kept having these visions, but every vision John came up with was a <laughs> vague reference to like a movie or TV show in our modern times. In <laughs> our know? world, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he did, would, like, he did like a Harry Potter so, one. Like, <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There, there were plenty of them. And this was in our Tomb of, tomb of Annihilation. Yeah, which yeah. is already uh, a very, game. like, grisly game to begin with. Right. Yeah. Well, it's so, also very cartoony, too. So, like, yes. it, you know. It was very much a dowel rod for, like, media, like, pop culture, you know? Yeah. He, but he, we, he believed we that these some... were his, either his prior lives or, like, he like he, in his current life, but, like, just whenever he was younger. It you sucks. He, he died in Tomb. He got cut right in he half did. we had such plans for him like he was going to actually exist in the meta at one point you know like he was yes. going to become detached from that plane and exist in all these in all realities you know <laughs> he was, it was very man. ambitious yeah but he but, died but then, so but that's, that's, the nature, oh. that's the nature of tomb of annihilation you can have the most ambitious plans and then one little trap saws you the fucking half you know <laughs> yeah, uh, I fucking loved him though. He was he was my absolute favorite. Yeah. Um, just because of the fact on just how how crazy he came off because he believed these wholeheartedly. And if I could just give like just one of his divinations, just one. Sure, go for it. Okay, yeah. Okay, so old as dirt, but I'll just go ahead and give it to you. So, so there I was in the heat of battle against the dragon lord, clad in black armor and rubies. Myself donned in the heavy armor of the stag. Our eyes met. He flung himself on the offense. I dodged the mortal blow and he felled and I felled him with my great hammer. Yet that man pales in comparison to the horrors that the soul monger is capable of. <laughs> That's fucking Robert Baratheon, <laughs> if you didn't catch it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's Robert killing like, Rhaegar on the trident. Yeah. yeah, like... So this like really old man, like Deckard Cain style yeah, old, just is mad. like telling this vision of the story that he believes that he either has done in a past life or is going to do. He's certain right. of it. He's certain of it. It was it's amazing. So, I I do I think those uh, I think those are the two. Like you've played several other characters. I think those are the two best representations yes. of kind yes, of your and which, which you couldn't have two characters more dissimilar from Xeno Five. You know. Like you really could, Agreed. Like, yeah. So I, it's like I think you know the fact that people have only heard uh, you play via the lens of Zeno Five really does a disservice to who you are as a player. You know, yeah. Not that mm-hmm. not that Zeno himself does any disservice. It's just that if that's all they know about you, it's like they don't even realize. You know, that's the tip. Well, of the Well, yeah, exactly. Well, Zeno Five is also very. He's very restrained. He's very uh, subdued and, and subtle. As opposed to these other representations that I've that I've created, you know. So, mm-hmm. so Zeno Five is kind of you know obviously in many ways uh, the focus of this Tom talks, and that leads into my next section. Uh, I really wanted to, and we're already pushing time. I was worried we were going to be too quick on this one, and that's not going to be the case. But. I wanted to talk about... Well, you brought up fish, man. Yeah, right? I I don't know what I was (laughs) thinking. That's your fault, man. Uh, But I wanted to talk about androids, like in in kind of a a general sense and a specific sense. So, you know, first of all, like, let's talk about, like, what is an android? Because if you look up just the definition, it's just uh, a human-like robot. You know, and that's that's, I think, a really inadequate definition of what an android is, because in, I agree. in popular culture, androids have kind of been uh, across a whole spectrum. But I think the the unifying principle of what androids are throughout all of, of literature and fiction is um, 
constructed beings who are passable as humans. And that's quite often the suspense in Android-based fiction is Mm -hmm. that people don't know that someone is an Android, and that can often lend them to being very sinister, such as in, like, uh, Battlestar Galactica, you know, the Cylons in that. It's like the whole, the entire suspense of that show is who is and who is not a Cylon because the Cylons are the enemy. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and that's the thing about them is, is that I mean, like as far as with uh, with androids is, is that I mean, yes, you could you could define them very raw in that in that in that text, and that would be a strict definition. But I think it doesn't uh, it it doesn't characterize them well enough. You know, I mean, one of the things that I've noticed about androids, particularly without any description of whether you know good bad uh you know uh law moral or immoral you know uh would be that are the settings that that surround them the environment that surrounds them they're always uh depicted uh in an environment of some heavy story elements or just undertones of just like espionage depression or yeah yeah there's either some real desperation or uh think of like i mean because they're always uh put in with uh some cataclysm that happens terminator Um, yeah Yeah. exactly or or like uh either that's past or present yeah oftentimes it's it's a past calamity that took place well there's also like the metropolis stuff where they're where they're represented as like this awakening right yes. that the, like the androids have served in a lot of different mediums as like a kind of uh, representative of the human condition yes. through an android lens of like this awakening of what does it mean to be human I'm exactly. an android yeah. Yeah. Well, that's- what does it mean like almost Pinocchio right like the yeah. same yeah. kind of story exactly. that Pinocchio has been telling I mean that know? I mean that is one of the early Examples in Disney of an Android. Well, that well that story you know? is so much I mean, older than find, Disney. You know? That that story is from the you know sixteen seventeen hundreds. You know the Pinocchio's tale. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's that's a very good mm-hmm. example because. Uh, the thing about androids so frequently is that, like you said, with the, the nature, nature of like an awakening is that uh, at what point does the robot or the constructed being uh, or, or, you know, which ties into even like AI and stuff like that. At what point does it truly become sentient? You know, like sentience is always a exactly. really big associated thing. But I think that's also the way in which androids are so differentiated from just robots. You know, and and I think a lot of people don't well, really it's definitely, uh, think about that. You know, it's a contrast between sentience and agency of mind. You know, whether like as far as like what's where does the programming where I mean where I mean is it a fine line? Well, that's a, that's a question you know? I was just going to ask you. Is yeah. you know, do you feel as if Zeno is programmed, or is he? A creature of free will is he operating based on his own thought process he's just been given the a cpu to process but you ha- i mean you don't have like programmed f- um functions right? right no i mean no 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 i i i personally think with Zeno is, is that there are subroutines very much like how how uh there are there's a circulatory system that we are not fully conscious of our body just goes ahead and just performs 
these uh, autonomic functions, okay? Right. Very much like with a uh, an android or machine meat, as the uh, as Lanty endearingly call them. <laughs> but the thing is, is that uh, I believe uh, he he is sentient. He is not programmed. I mean, the only programming there is is very much in the same way that a human's heart is programmed to beat. Well, we'll see uh, you if know? if you don't right. if you don't mind me interjecting with that a little bit. I think you know the way that I kind of perceive Zeno. Is that like he was very obviously like constructed, you know, he was created or whatever. But yes. and, and one of the ways in which the the android conundrum, as it were, kind of addresses this uh, situation is that <clears throat> they were created for a particular function, but because androids, as opposed to robots, are created with sentient minds with uh, a certain degree of free yes. will, that the programming. Uh, which is so easy to think of like programming, like computers, robots, whatever, when you associate uh, those terms with androids. The programming is much more a social thing. It's a social con- construct mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to you are hard hardwired to do these specific things. It's like, no, you're created with the knowledge of how to do those things, and then you are socially conditioned to do those for your creators, you know? At least in yes. the early yes. parts of an android's life in Starfinder. Right. Yeah. They 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 originally born to perform menial tasks, and then as they as they grow and progress and become more advanced, and and the and the concept of Starfinder, they are housed with a soul. Yeah. You know, the, they become open to being able to receive a soul or sentience. Yes. And in, in yes. that sense. Yeah. Well. Well. And as. As far as androids, like in in general media, you know, uh, I think the the kind of granddaddy of people thinking about androids uh, is quite often um, Blade Runner. So, like Blade Runner is like one of the most quickly associated like android films, you know, and it's one of you know, I mean, uh, the most lauded films involving androids in history. And I think what Blade Runner does is that very thing that we're talking about, that androids in the world of Blade Runner are created to be workers to some degree, but they do have full sentience. And the conflict of Blade Runner is that with that sentience, the rebel um, androids decide to murder their captives because... They dislike once once the android comes to a or like Westworld, yeah, or Westworld, yeah. Once the android comes to a point of being being mm-hmm. able to um, dislike their position and the thing that they were created for, and understand that they mm-hmm. be their sentience grants them the same, like they deserve the same things, the same it's abilities the same and rights. agency. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Um, if I may just uh, piggyback on that. So if we're talking about specifically with Blade Runner, we're talking about they have already achieved awakening. They were constructed already awakened. Yes. They were already human, but with non-human rights. Okay. They didn't have the rights that humans did. And it wasn't a, a trying to get the rights of, of humans in, in that aspect, kind of like, um, 
But what they were more, I think it was, they were dissatisfied or they, they grew to absolutely despise them, I think, almost out the gate. Well, yeah. Well, but that, they just, well, they were created to be slaves. Yeah, they well, were created you know, to be like, slaves. Well, and you that's, know? that's the reason I bring that up is because I think their uh, Starfinder took that same kind of initiative in, in terms of androids because the history of androids in Starfinder is that they were created to be slaves and were slaves until very recently in the modern history of Starfinder, you know, I mean, that's, that's that, that notion of, um, machine slaves using their sentience to overthrow their masters, you know, is, is I think one of those things you're never going to get away from. It's so central to what an Android based story is going to be. Exactly. The common trope is that there's always going to be some Messiah that happens to awake. They're the first one to say no. You know, well, but it's not that they're the first ones to awaken. It's that just that they're the first ones to say no. You know, because yeah. like, yeah, I, th- yeah. I think I'll, I think I'll, those yeah, are that. that is common both in Blade Runner and in in Starfinder because androids, as we know them in Starfinder, were always sentient. We're always capable of doing it. It's when did they develop the not just ability but the desire to say no? You know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, did you guys know that androids were actually mentioned in Pathfinder well before I Starfinder? I did. I, d- there I did is not. A, there is an AP called Iron Gods where mm-hmm. the party goes to basically investigate a crashed spaceship you know, on Galarian. Like, the spaceship comes out of some, like, you know, rip and crashes and so like it's this weird mix between you know fantasy like and then this kind of alien technology yeah um yeah and you know you could actually play an android in pathfinder 1e or at least in this adventure you could um and it has like very i mean kind of similar stats but there's one particular that I wanted to point out, John, that I wish you probably or that you wish you probably had. Uh, it's called Nanite Surge. Uh-huh. And uh, the android's body is infused with nanites once per day as an immediate action. An android can cause her nanites to surge, granting a bonus equal to three plus the android's character level on any one d20 roll. This ability oh, wow. must be activated before the roll is made. When the android uses this power, the circuitry tattoos glow with light equivalent to that of a torch in illumination for one round. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. That would be really cool um, as a class feature, a once-per-day class feature kind of deal. Well, it's, a, you it's know? a racial feature. Yeah, a racial feature, not a class, but yeah, a racial yeah. feature. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I would I would totally love that, you know. I bet, and that's I think path, it makes sense good. though if you think about it, because I mean, yeah, and, uh, like circuitry, because that's how I often see Zeno Five whenever he's in dim areas. Is that any places that uncovered skin where where you would see circuitry, almost get kind of that like kind of Tron thing going, you know, where it's just like you'd see that circuitry kind of glowing, yeah. you know, exactly, you know, yeah. So, un- unfortunately, I think both of the, s- the topics that I chose for today's Tom Talks, um, both due to the topics and due to the company that I have, are the kind of things that we would love to talk about for um, hours. We could, we could have a whole fucking night talking about mm-hmm. either of these things, let alone both of them. So, unfortunately, I do have to put a little bit of a lid on that. But before, uh, and also, good job on the, the Android conversation and i hope that 
fosters more conversation. Well, no worries. Uh, uh, listen, huh? The listener questions have yeah, some more yeah. Android talk, so sure. we'll be yeah. But, we're, yeah. We're good. Well, and that's and that's another thing is that I'm hoping that not not so much the fish conversation, but the Android conversation inspires more conversation, <laughs> particularly in the Discord in the days and weeks to come. But to kind of end the the Android segment, I did want to ask. We've mentioned. Uh, like Battlestar Galactica, uh, Westworld briefly, Blade Runner, obviously. But um, I had I had like two questions other than that uh, for, you know, one for like each of us kind of. And that is, other than those things, like, w- can you think of any other examples of, of androids in media that, that you just particularly love? That you like oh my God. more Data. than... Fucking okay, data. data. I, I love data is literally on data. my sheet. And I was like, well, yeah. I'm not going to say anything because yeah. that's going to be John. I mean, because you're Steiner is the quintessential Android. I mean, like I uh, like I'm a huge Star Trek fan. Watched Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager. I love all of those. I even like the new one. But uh, yeah, Brent Spiner's interpretation of an android uh, whose pursuit into what humanity is is just—it's flawless to me. I think it's—I it, think it's—it carried on what uh, android and media is. Well, and I knew you were going to go with data, but I did want to bring up with the data thing one thing that I like and that is going to lead into my second question is that. The thing that I find so interesting about data, and and I am not a, a trackie, you know, like I mean, I, I've uh-huh. I've given given it a shot, and it's never been my cup of tea. But I have done a little bit of work to to appease you at least. But what I like so much about data is that whereas normally, or in so much of media, androids are viewed with suspicion and are very much like a, a vessel for suspense and suspicion, and data is actually a very endearing character. He's he's a little bit disconnected because of the nature of his his being an android, but his search for what it means to be human and his desire to be more human is a really endearing quality, and I think that's why Data is one of the most popular characters in in all of the history of Star Trek. Absolutely, and- I have uh, my my choice is something that's also similarly something where you you are meant to. You know, sympathize with the I character. I think I know what it is, a, and I, I want to see so it. Bi- Bicentennial Man. Nope. Is, oh, dude, that's my second, man. That's my right, fucking second. So yeah. Here's the thing about that. What I like about that movie, and it, it, it is a little long-winded, I'm going to go ahead and say, but okay. what I like about that movie is it explores the deal with somebody that has human feelings and connections dealing with watching generations of people loss. die. Loss is you, a big you know, part of that movie. Yeah, so it's kind of like similar to elves and why they don't particularly friend themselves with humans because it's just like man i'm gonna live at least 300 years you know yeah. and i'm yeah, not these gonna are just go every, every human you that know? i know will will cause me pain because i'll lose them yeah yeah, right, yeah. and right. i will say like i love bicentennial man i actually i do too it's just it's a little long, it is a little well, it's just the, little. the two movies these are both movies that i think were to me understated foundational sci-fi movies that really shaped like my love for the genre but they're both have that knock against them that they're super long-winded but they both involve androids and that those movies are bicentennial man and ai i love joel osmond yes yeah he played mesmer in the boys so I know you haven't yeah. watched all no, of that. No, but, but, yeah. no, but yeah. yeah. no. That that was when I was doing my research for this. That was a thing that was brought up. That I was like, well, I don't have the ability to bring that up, you know. 
Um, <laughs> so, so for mine, I actually thought this is what Adam was going to bring up. Now, it does lean a little bit into that, like, um, androids as a vessel for suspense and uh, suspicion. But um, it also kind of, like, bends a little bit. Like, where at what point is it android uh, or something else? But the movie Moon... With the whole cloning oh. kind of android thing, I you mean, know? yeah, but I don't yeah. feel that's very. That's not necessarily android. It's the clone, which is a whole different conceptual. Uh, like, yeah, if thesis. you haven't seen Moon, sorry guys. The, the only reason that I, I bring that up is because it's like this notion of the programmed clone, which I feel like is much closer to being yeah, an I android. Mean, I get, you know? I get why you brought it up for sure. Like, I do understand that, but I feel. That's we could do a right. whole time well, talks well, on Moon if alone. If, you know, if like gonna, it's yeah. one of my favorite movies great, of all time. Great movie. you know? well, if, yeah. if you're gonna veto that one, I'm gonna say Bishop from Alien. Okay, uh, oh, I would even say yeah, I countered yeah. that with Ash. You know, <laughs> oh shit, yeah, yeah. So you got your moral and immoral uh, 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 spectrums of both. Sure. Uh, androids on uh, from Alien and Aliens, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, and I don't, I don't mean to and, beat a dead yeah. horse here, uh, but I did. I only yeah. recently watched Alien for the first time. Uh, me and John watched it, and to be honest, uh, like it gave me a little bit of anxiety. Like that movie is like rough uh, emotionally to watch, you know, as far as the creep out factor and stuff like that. But I watched, yeah, it's intense. I watched that. I love it. I only watched it recently, which I know is like a knock on me. Like you should have watched that movie forever ago. But I did it because Adam promised <laughs> that if I watched it, he would watch 2001: A Space Odyssey, and he still hasn't fucking done it. <laughs> well, I, listen, I'm just waiting for the next time it comes out on a big screen, and then I'm gonna go. Well, you didn't like, come I'm the just last waiting time because me does and Will that. went and saw it in theaters the well, last time. Oh yeah. shit, that's right. Anyways, Shame don't we you. have some listener questions we, we, or something we that do, we have but to do? I, I was going to ask, my, my, that question led into, and I think this one will be very easy because I think I already, already know the answer. I was going to ask you, John, in particular, did any of these flavor your inspiration for Xeno 5? My assumption is that Data did. Data did a little bit, but the thing is, is that, and, um, he's a little bit more grounded than Data. Data is, is by far a much more intelligent, he's, he's a walking dictionary, and at the same time, he's also somebody who is trying to understand what it means to be human. Zeno, on the other hand, it has found somewhat of a balance between human versus machine. You know, um, while he still wants to continue to learn about it, he's also he is comfortable in the skin, the synthetic skin that he's in. Yeah. You know, he's not striving to be more human. He, he wants to understand human more, you know, absolutely. But he also has other interests aside from just, you know, learning how humans tick. Yeah. You know, well, and such as the drift. Yeah, you know? for sure. And and as far as like the data being like a walking dictionary thing, that's much harder to pull off if you, even if you were trying to pull that off oh, in a God. in a setting that's like true. a TTRPG because you're not a fucking script writer. You don't, you know, like you have to be, be flexible. <laughs> right. You have to Exactly. change your responses you know? based on the stimuli that are available to you. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. But yeah. I mean, Brent so, Spiner got coaching on that shit. You know, come on. Yeah. Well, and he had a literal. <laughs> well, he writer. had a script. He had, he had a script. He, he exactly. script. memorized you know? the script. Like for yeah. real. 
<laughs> okay, well, shit, man. This has been a really good conversation. I, I hope uh, people enjoy this and want to ask us more, and we can have better conversations in the future. But you did say earlier, uh, Adam, that the listener questions are heavily going to involve this kind of stuff. So why don't we go ahead and get to the listener questions? All right, yeah, let's do that. Um, so Porter Paladin asked a question that we just answered, but I just wanted to give him a shout out. Uh, favorite Android character from a movie or book? I think that's good. So yeah, yeah. That's I, ho- I hope we answered that sufficiently before you, Porter Paladin. All right, I want to read one from Bear, and this is a particularly well thought out question, and it's kind of long, but you know, in an uncharacteristic move from Bear. This is a non-troll question. Um, but, of course, he does start it off with a troll. How does it feel to have the perfect personality for playing a soulless machine? Slash yes. <laughs> but actually, Zeno has a great balance of flattened effect and self-expression where his feelings are pretty clear and contain clear notes of humor, melancholy, and curiosity, although they are rendered in a more controlled register than the rest of the meat bags he adventures with. Because of this, he seems like a more grown or adult character emotionally than, say, a character like Dax from Androids and Aliens, whereas Joe's interpretation of Android is an artificial sentience struggling to feel like an emotive person in the face of prejudice. Zeno, to my reckoning, seems to have struck a balance where he is more at peace with who he is, considering himself a a soulful machine with his own personality, which has a different but no less valid tone to his companions. Do you think that's a fair comparison? How did you approach constructing the RP persona for a soulful machine like Zeno when you decided on this character? All right, so, yeah, that is a fucking mouthful. But first off, Fantastic fucking analysis from Bear Claire. I fucking love that. That was great. Um, I even like the whole perfect pal- uh, personality for playing a soulless machine. Um, mm-hmm. That inspiration comes from Patrick Baten- Bateman from American <laughs> Psycho. You know. By the okay, way, so- do you like Phil Collins? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> no, but for real. Anyway, uh, so yeah, okay. So we discussed this earlier about you know the classic approach, you know, pursuit of humanity for as far as what androids are, you know. Um, and now I think Zeno comes from a much more logical approach um, because he uh, as uh, he understands that he is a machine. But the thing is, is that I think that also comes from the support of friends. It comes from the support of your environment. I mean, you know, those who didn't have it as well are going to be much more focused on like, I mean, those that have been uh, uh, punished as androids and whatnot, they're going to float towards the android abolitionist front, something like that. You know, they're going to be more proud of being a machine, you know, but as as far as myself, as far as like how I went about constructing the RP persona, um, I went through a different phases with that, trying to figure out exactly how I wanted him. Because I mean, there was a point where it was just like, you know, do I want him to be kind of malicious, you know, kind of like you don't know, quite know what he's thinking, you know, kind of like think of like how 9000, you know, like I can't do that, Dave, you know, but, you know, at what the is same, that? What are you talking about? That's I from, know. Uh, Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, that's from like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, like I'm getting more and more angry as time goes on. <laughs> but. Uh, but then I wanted to soften that approach, and I think I wanted to provide a little bit more, less automaton, 
but more somebody who was just like, yeah, he's been around fucking humans, you know? He wasn't programmed by humans, he was programmed by machines, but whose secondary knowledge of humans. And I would think that in that far ahead, that advanced, they would have an already an understanding of what a human is, but from a robotic level. From yeah, a I think one thing level. to consider with a lot of the characters that are on the show is that they're all older you know they're all like 40 something years old they've had a a lot of experience as people before we started the adventure so they all seem to be comfortable in their own skin like they know who they are and they and they've like had several formative experiences in their lives you know what i mean and so like for xeno you know figuring out what humanity is is like the college years for Zeno. Zeno's well past that. He's right. Like, he, and and he he uh, he knows what it is. He has a best friend. Like he has mm-hmm. a true best friend. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like and he now has several other close friends. And yeah. and and it's not I don't think you ever made that something that you wanted to explore with Zeno. I I know when we were talking about it that you were going out of your way to avoid some of the like typical android archetypes you know you yes. wanted to explore different aspects you know yes. we, we we talked for a while about what different things and and i don't know Zeno is just interested in bigger questions than, yes. than that well you know and, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to well the thing is, is that as time proceeds there is going to be more close camaraderie between everybody else because there's going to be those moments where it's just going to happen between person Y and Zeno, you know, mm-hmm. and is, and he's going to notice those things. You know, he is a person that, that notices small things, you know? Well, well, and that, you but know, he does have more of a, go ahead. Uh, I was just saying, yeah, I mean, but that kind of ties into the, <clears throat> the fact that he's not a young Android, you know, and being that he's yeah. not like not only yeah. not only has he already had some like formative life experiences and and like you said he's got a best friend he's got several close friends and stuff but I think you know particularly right. uh, having been around Mike so long like his best friend and person that he's kind of seen the most of at least in the last decade decade and a half um, is is a very flawed person and a very emotional person but not someone who thinks of himself as a bad person or is above being sentimental you know like you're not an you're not an android who you you may have come out of a lab to begin with but it's not like you're someone who has been confined to a lab and been lacking uh the complexity not only of friendship but of being around people who are um you know that contain multitudes that do hypocritical things that do bad things and then feel bad for them yeah, One I more thing what, to that. I, I think what we'll see in the future too is that some of Zeno's lab experiences that we don't know about yet have had a significant impact on how he responds to emotions and people. You know. Yes, absolutely. And that's another thing is is that just a just a uh, to piggyback on the uh, well, really. Oh, I'm. I'm uh, tying up my words here but 
uh, while I do avoid certain tropes, there are some others that I kind of don't quite avoid. But for example, like my friendship with uh, Mike in this case, I mean, it, it is does have some some of the trope of like the buddy comedy kind of thing a little bit, you know, because I mean, you know, if you think about like, you know, like you have the, the well straight laced person and then you have the roommate who's just like, kind of like the free spirit, larger than life personality, you know? Yeah. I think concerning that, like Adam's point is that you avoided particularly Android tropes, not all tropes. Android. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, correct. Yes. All right. Uh Um, got another question here. Go on. All right, so this one is from Overplus, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase it because it's really more just like a subject that, you know, a little idea that he wants us to talk about. And it's like the idea of androids actually being restless spirits or ghosts haunting like a, a, a construct, you know? So, like, rather than maybe a soul, I think this is more the destiny type approach, or what was that show? That came out recently where the guy uh, woke uh, up carbon. with... Oh, yeah, Altered yeah. Carbon. So, so, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's that idea of, like, you're implanting a spirit uh, uh, or a ghost or an already identified person into yeah. just a shell. So, so b- yeah, before, consciousness is being uploaded into a sleeve. Yeah, so before right. you yeah. answer that, I did want to bring up... That is something that I meant to bring up in our actual Android thing that is unique kind of to the Starfinder universe to some degree is that androids can, uh, you know, once they hit a certain age, it's not uncommon for them to choose for their soul to exit their body, but their souls will move on to another android body, like like the sleeve type Mm -hmm. thing. But it's a conscious decision that is is made by many androids well, i think you know i think only androids are capable yeah. of doing well, that and it's, too, and it's, right? they have well, and a it's, rebirth that's how they procreate well, but, and it's it's right. specifically unique because it's android to android like an android soul leaves and goes and re- inhabits another android body it's not that an android soul leaves right, and then and then a vesk is born a galaxy away and it has that soul now like like right, it's not right. like pure reincarnation it's a reincarnation that is specific to androids which is very unique and yes. i think one of the most yeah. interesting things about starfinder androids sure i mean so what do you think about the idea the android idea that's a little bit more like occult in the sense that it's it was a person it was not an android that comes in this was a person at some point that is now haunting i really like the idea See, of yeah. haunting a body i think that is such a wild concept because that that you could only do with something that has that is uh interwoven with machinery you mm-hmm. know and uh it's like a, futuristic horror or something exactly like it's that, a yeah. possession it's a yeah. possession uh as uh, that's uh that's in parallel with uh like a uh, possession of a body for ghosts it would be instead of an actual human body I feel like a, that's like a subtype of android right yeah it's, it's like well Certainly not androids by definition, but the, the concept of it is real, like spooky and awesome. Like it is, I, yeah, it is. and I love that it's something that that can be explored. Well, you know, and to your point of like possession, it's not that though. I mean, like it, if you, only like in a you know kind of abstract viewing it objectively kind of way, but like the the nature of of possession. Uh, in the history of fiction is as a tormenting thing 
You know, like being possessed by something. Like taking over somebody always, else's always will. Always right, dominates. Right. It's unwillingly. Yeah, dominates it's a, a prior will. Yeah. And it means there's like two, two spirits in one body that are battling each other. Whereas the right. rebirth topic in Starfinder is that one um, android decides to... Basically, he decides to die. To let his body die and let his soul well, yeah, leave. Yeah, yeah. And then but, inhabit but another more, android, so, you know? Right, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the idea of ghost haunting a... Yeah. So it's not possession, nor is it the rebirth of Starfinder. Right. It's this other concept of like yeah. like the ghost in the machine Yeah, exactly. Situation. Quite literally, in this case, the ghost in the shell, the ghost in the machine. Uh, yeah. Yes. You know? Yeah. I and think it's... Uh, Overplus, I think it's a good idea, and it's obviously abstract and like... Could, we could expound upon it for a while. I want to see that. That's it's cool. fascinating, That's and I cool. think it would be very cool to like if you built a like if you had not already built the android. That, I have an AP around it. That, or, well, or just well, like no, well, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, have an AP, yeah. but I'm saying like if you had built uh, a different android or whatever, and you started from the perspective that it was like a a you know. Uh, that that kind of situation where where a ghost kind of inhabits. I mean, yeah. I'm already thinking of one where I'm already thinking of like a, of an android that is like maybe just like through experimental of like uh, trying to refine the soul capture process of for a for an android or whatnot has been bombarded with various souls through the process and maybe some remnants has been left over in that android. You know, and how would that how would that look? I mean, how how would that be portrayed? Is uh, as a character, you know. Yeah, that's very, super super interesting. A lot to yeah. to chew on there. Yeah. All right, I got two more questions. Yeah. Um, we do have to wrap this up. And we let's went try way to keep these short. Than I thought. Yeah. <laughs> let's tr- so let's try to keep our answers lightning round here. I'm, we try to say that every time, and it never works. But anyway, here we go. Um, when Android gets turned into a. Uh, a playable Pathfinder 2E ancestry choice, as it inevitably will be. What class is your first Android character going to be? And this comes from our good buddy Jason Ellis from the What Do You Do Pods. Jason, thank you yeah, for that question. Jason's the man. I, I do want to say, can we all like lightning round? Can we each answer this? Just one word. What's the class? Yes. Yes. John's first. What's your yep. what class would it be? It'd either be a champion or a monk. That's it. Pick Something one. to do with the dichotomy <laughs> of it. Pick you one. Know? Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The champion of faith, you know, so the contrast of machine, a man-made <laughs> creation versus a deity outside of man. You know, that uh, that seems kind of interesting like to portray, you know? All right. Adam? Ranger. Alchemist. Nice. Alchemist would be pretty Ooh, fucking an cool. Android Alchemist, Alchemist would be yeah, fun. Yeah. yeah, that would be. Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking like a... a, a Android Ranger with like laser sighting in his eyes. Oh, that's shit. amazing! Yeah. Yeah. That that's super yeah. fucking cool. I, Absolutely, I'm thinking yeah. the like the the nerd that's like just constantly obsessed with building better and better and better potions, you know, <laughs> and weapons. <laughs> yeah. All right. This last question is this last question is for John specifically, uh, and it comes from Bear again, and I think it's a good one for us to end on. John, 
How do you stand being the handsomest cast member, as well as packing the killer combo of gentlemanly refinement, which simultaneously boasts a feminine charm, which is unrivaled by your peers? <laughs> oh, God. Wow. Okay. I think, I uh, think Bear wants a date. <laughs> <laughs> All I can tell you, my friend, is with grace and humility. And aplomb. <laughs> Very good. And aplomb. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, well, that's no, all I, I got. Have, I have one more question. This was just from me to John, and we'll wrap it up. Um, if Zeno and Mike hadn't met up and formed the APA and had the history that they had, what do you think Zeno would be doing this days? these days? Would he just have found another gig in a lab somewhere on Absalom Station, or do you have some other idea for what he would be doing at this point in well, his life? If he had not have alerted the Aslanti, um, then I, or That's- alerted the space pirates who were going to, then if that were the case, yes, he would still be trying to doggedly pursuit. I mean, pursue. Uh, he would be, probably be just in another fucking random lab on some random moon um, or rogue planet, just trying to extract minerals or find different minerals in order to uh, to further his studies and to creating the perfect. See that that's so um, that's so interesting to, to uh, me because like a it's that he's so dedicated to this one pursuit like and I and I uh, respect and appreciate that but it's also like being how much we've talked about androids and androids being created like that's the you know you were created to be in a lab you know and like the fact that you would like yes, choose to do exactly. that anyways because like I I'm interested in this particular thing is is interesting and kind of noble. But it also brings up the question. And it brings up that question. Is that still part of just some remnant programming? Maybe. Or is that actually, you know, his choice? Or, or a social programming, you know? Right, exactly. You know? Tune in next week yeah. to not find Man, out. We, this, is, <laughs> this is by far the headiest uh, Tom Talks that we've had. Um well, I, it's gonna I, be love with, it. I love it. I love it. It's going to be with John yeah. on the show. So, I was I was a little nervous about it. I'll be honest, but we handled it. Yeah. It was great, well, and we, y'all were the perfect wingmen for this. <laughs> well, I'm <laughs> always happy to serve in that role. Uh, I pride myself on being a good wingman. Um, I do appreciate for all of you that listened have made it this far. This is going to be a little bit of a long one. Um, I want to, you know, appreciate we we recently found out we hit the 10,000 download mark with the show. So I really Mm want to give a a pat on the back to everyone who's listened and all that. I always want to give a shout out to to Roll20 for sponsoring us, to um, uh, our our diligent and creative bag maker, Valhaven Studios. Um, who was doing, doing some social media blasts today and, and putting our unique bags out there. Those are so uh, cool. Is there anybody I'm forgetting? Who else do I need to thank? Everybody. All of you. Yeah. Just thank if you're listening. Thank you. Yeah. Seriously. Yes. Thank you, Paizo, for creating these one, this wonderful content for us. Yeah, absolutely. You know. um, 
yeah so let's let's uh get out of here guys but uh again thank you guys for listening this was a really fun one um i I, every time that i do tom talks i think i'm more nervous every time and it turns out better than i expected every time it's true (laughs) he was really nervous he was really yeah this one was the most nervous (laughs) for sure um he was like come on let's go smoke a cigarette real quick i blame adam for that you're really jitters that's definitely i mean whatever (laughs) if you don't like the show it's heat's fault yeah that that i'll take i'll take both of those it's adam's fault but you know it's also my fault if you don't like it uh i i loved having these discussions with you guys i hope we can have more discussions about this i hope it sparks uh, or it starts a spark that turns into a flame of discussion on the Discord and elsewhere. Um, we're going to get out of here. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you're enjoying the show. I know we are. We're in a really weird place, even though we're like uh, five weeks ahead of you, um, <laughs> you know, at all times. Um, but stay tuned, guys, and uh, stay tuned for the next Tom Talks. When can I tell them what we're doing? Uh, yeah. When we're going to be interviewing. Eleanor Farron, who wrote book two of Against yes. the Aeon Throne. Yes. Yeah, I'm looking yes. forward to that. I'm going to be the, the, in true. You're going to be the I'm most, be nervous, the for most that one. nervous about that one for sure. <laughs> yep. um, yeah. Right. Thanks, guys. We're going to get out of here. We'll, we'll see you. We'll fucking see you. <laughs>